What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Up in Flames here on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel. As always, I am your host, Mo Murphy, and today I got a special guest, a guy who's been on Up in Flames multiple times. We talk football, we talk basketball. We've had him on Draft Capital NFL with myself and Stu. Got my guy Walker Baylor, Walker Bailey in the building. But before we get into that, we're going to talk some NBA playoffs. Obviously, you know, that's what you're here to listen to. You're here to listen to basketball talk. So we're going to talk some NBA playoffs. But we'll bring Walker Bailey in right back. We'll bring Walker Bailey in right after the intro. Warning. You are now listening to Up in Flames. We up in Flames, yeah. We up in Flames, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Let me hear it, Lambo. We up in flames. We up in flames. We up in flames. Yeah, we up in flames. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We up in flames. Yeah, yeah, uh, we up in flames. Hold on, uh, check this go. We up in flames. Yeah, uh, we up in. Uh, yeah, yeah, we up in flames. Yeah, Woo. we up in. Yeah, we up in flames. We up in flames. Again, welcome everybody back to another edition of Up in Flames. Like I said, I am your host, Mo Murphy, and I got my guy Walker Bailey in the building. A guy with many agendas, a, a Jason Tatum advocate, which we will yeah. get into. Um, obviously, if you're watching this live, we are recording on Sunday. Uh, if you're listening to this later, this is on Monday. We're going to give you you know, a Game 7 preview uh, of the Mavericks and Suns. We're going to talk a Game 7 review of the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. But this is a Jason Tatum advocate, right? This is the guy who yeah. talks about Jason Tatum as a superstar. Walker, what's going on, bro? Not much. I thought we were going to get the full like Tatum takeover experience there in the third quarter, and then he got that. Um, he, we'll call it a foul, but the fourth foul call, uh, the elbow on the drive or whatever they call it. And then after that, Boston kind of ran away so fast that they kind of just were like, "All right, well, I guess he doesn't really need to come back in. We don't really need to play him anymore because uh, yeah. they got up. They got about like twenty, and so they just kind of they kind of pulled the plug. So, yeah, and I think that was kind of a bullshit call, right? And, and so. Just talking about the game, right? Like, we'll talk about that bullshit call. Uh, did you think, like, when, when we saw that play call, we were talking about it in the group chat and everything like that, but did you think that that play call, you know, that that offensive foul that I don't think was, uh, you know, did you think Connaughton kind of stuck his face in there? And, you know, with, with the refereeing and how everybody swears up and down, not everybody, but with the referees, they review everything, elbow to the face, yeah. the shoulder in the chest, anything has been basically reviewed as a flagrant foul. Did you think that was going to change the trajectory of the rest of the game? I mean, yeah, it could have. I mean, Boston, when Tatum wasn't creating or scoring, was really relying on role players and in game sevens and stuff. You never know when that's going to go. You know, fortunately for Boston, it didn't, but, you know, had Tatum been stuck on the bench with four fouls and a couple shots go in, a couple shots don't go in, we could be talking about a completely different game. Um, and, you know, I didn't – I and the commentator said it too. I really thought Tatum was just kind of in his natural shooting motion and, like, what like what do you want a guy to do? Like, the elbow is used to shoot a basketball. Like, you can't – and I felt like – I don't feel like Condon like, intentionally threw his face in there to draw a foul. I think he was trying to make a play. But – I also felt like when you do that and you take the elbow to the face, that's not on the offensive player who's in the natural shooting motion trying to finish at the rim. You know, it's not like Tatum leaned into it or anything. And so I just – I thought it was kind of – we had – some people in the group chat thought it should have been a playoff, and I thought it should have been a defensive foul at an and one. Um, but it is what it is. Uh, but I didn't think it was a good call. I thought it was – actually, quite frankly, I thought it was terrible. So speaking of calls, right, so – that's kind of been a factor in these playoffs. And I'm not saying like every team that has won has benefited from refereeing, right? Because I think the refereeing has been bad all around just in the playoffs. I think, you know, and I don't know if it's because we're getting a lot more replays, we're getting a lot more questions on flagrant fouls, but like all eyes have been on the refereeing. So how much do you think, and, and I don't mean this question by like how much have you think that it's swayed whether somebody won uh, a series or not, but how much, how bad do you think the refereeing has been overall in the playoffs? 
I think it's just been hard to find any consistency. Like, I think at times, and I'll stick with these two teams, or specifically Milwaukee, like we've seen games where, you know, Giannis has been called for four or five, like three, four or five offensive fouls in a really short period of time. He leads the NBA in offensive fouls in the playoffs. And then you had stuff like today in game seven where, you know, a guy like Tatum or Al Horford kind of will make that same spin move in the post and throw a guy down and get an offensive foul. But then we review the offensive foul on Giannis and it gets overturned for the exact same thing. Like we can't get consistency. And so it's one of those things where like, if you're going to call this one way, then call it the other way. And the NBA hasn't been able to do that. And Adam Silver's kind of ignored it um, just time and time again, because the product's been fine. And I guess maybe griping about officiating is good because it, you know, it gets clicks, it gets, uh, it gets views on podcasts and stuff like that, and that's good for the league. But I mean, I just think that I think my problem is the lack of consistency. Like, who really knows what the rules are? Like, who really knows what you're allowed to do and what you're not to do? Like, we know what the rule book says, but that's not exactly how the officials always call it, and that's my biggest gripe with officiating. Yeah, and I think so. When you look at it, I do think that. We expect kind of to lay off the whistle a little bit coming into playoff basketball. Like we know regular season, I feel like is more entertainment. Make sure the value of the product of the NBA is as great as you could possibly make it for the fact that 30 teams are playing 82 games. You have games on pretty much every night from what October all the way to, to April as far as the regular season goes. So I think like, you're trying to hold the value, maybe call some. There's not a lot of consistency in the regular season, but I feel like in the playoffs, it's either one or the other, and you have to decide as a re- as an officiating crew coming into the game, let alone coming into the series. Like, all refs, it can't be a game-by-game basis. All refs have to be on the same page. You have to know what crews are refing, which games, which they pretty much already do. And so there has to be a, a consistency as far as the series goes. And so, like, hey, we're going to let them play a little bit. We're going to let this be the aggressive playoff basketball that we're accustomed to. Or, like, we're going to be heavy on the whistle. We're going to set the tone early. And then we're going to expect the players to adapt to that. At least if there's that kind of mindset going into the series and there's that kind of consistency, and that's for the, the NBA playoffs as a whole, then guys can typically figure out how to adjust and continue on playing in the way that they know the refs are calling the games. But like you said, if there's one game in game one, we're letting them play. We're, we're laying off the whistle. We're letting them play aggressive basketball or we're, we're not as heavy on the whistle on the home team or whatever, because it's home team advantage. And, and we play that to the crowd. We play that to the officiating. There's been plenty of times in years past where we felt like that was a home team call, right? Based whether it was an offensive foul, a defensive foul, uh, giving them continuation, whatever it is, like there, there's things where we're like, that's a home team call. So that does exist in the NBA playoffs. We're not going to act like it doesn't. But like you said, consistency is the main factor. So obviously the Celtics are moving on and going to the Eastern Conference Finals. They won the game seven that was just played. Obviously, if you're tuning in live, you know, uh, most of you NBA fans, y'all just watched that game. So for the Celtics reason, before we get into like the rest of the playoffs, we get into the Mavs Suns coming up. The Celtics, they are playing the Miami Heat. What are some key things that you are looking for going into this Eastern Conference Finals? We'll start on the Boston side. What is Boston essentially keys to victory to be able to win the Eastern Conference Finals and go to the NBA Finals? I mean, I think this applies a little bit to both teams, but I'm really intrigued to see how the bench units play one another. Um, these because we've talked about this before and how Miami kind of lacks a true superstar in a way, and they are just a really, really deep basketball team. Well, the same, I wouldn't say it's totally true for Boston, but that depth is there too. I mean, we saw guys like Grant Williams make plays today. I say make plays, he made seven threes. Um, Al Horford had a 30 point game at some point, uh, in that series. Uh, Robert Williams should be back, and so guys like that, like. I want to see how the bench units play one another because I think those minutes could decide the entire series if these starters kind of cancel each other out. And then I kind of want to see too, like how to like how to Brown and Tatum get shots and who's guarding who in that scenario, like from a who's, you know, who from Miami is picking up those guys because those guys are one of those guys is going to have to play like a superstar in order for them to do advance. And I think the same can be said on the flip side about Jimmy Butler for Miami. 
I think whoever gets the closest thing to superstar level play from their top line options and the team uh, and the team that gets better bench play is probably going to win. Cause I mean, these teams are really similar and really even on almost all fronts. Yeah. 100%. And so obviously me being a Miami heat fan, like, I feel like my word on this series isn't going to hold a lot of weight to a lot of my listeners because they're going to be like, ah, it's going to come off as a biased opinion because, of course, more than anything, I want the Miami Heat to win. But when I'm looking at Boston's keys to victory, it's everything you said. And, you know, we talk about superstars, right? Like, that's kind of the key word when we talk about playoffs. This is where legacies are made. This is where legends solidify themselves as trajectories of legendary careers is in the playoffs. We don't measure success on regular season, right? And I guess it's one of those, it's a sticky situation because we're coming off a season where we've had Nikola Jokic, who has been the best regular season player for back-to-back seasons, no real playoff success, and has won back-to-back MVPs, right? So essentially, when you talk about all the success he's had as an individual, like he's a back-to-back MVP, that puts him in a level that, Essentially, we wouldn't expect a Nikola Jokic to be in. It puts him in an unprecedented territory of repeat MVPs and no real playoff success. But I look at Boston and I'm like, this is Jason Tatum's time to essentially establish himself as the guy that we expect to be a top five player for the next 10 years. Like he's at that age where we expect greatness. He hasn't entered his prime yet. But we expect greatness from him. He's a great basketball player. And this is around the time where guys who we expect to enter their prime as true superstars as some of the top players in the league end up making their mark on the league, and then they continue and build off of that. And I think this is where Jason Tatum does that. Uh, If the Boston Celtics want to win, essentially. Do I want to see it? 100% no. But this is around the age. Jason Tatum is what, 23, 24? 24, yeah. 24. So this is around the age, couple years prior, a year or two prior away from him entering his prime is where he makes his mark on the league. And this is the guy that we expect to be a top five player for the next 10 years. And then Jalen Brown essentially making his mark as far as being a strong Robin. And I know the role players are going to play a factor in this with these two teams basically being even matched uh, as far as a one-two punch, I'm not sure. Like, if you look at it as Miami, is it Jimmy Butler and Bam, or is it Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry? Uh, that's the question to answer once Kyle Lowry comes back. He, he's expected to be back for this series, but I think it, this is a Jason Tatum game. This is a Jason Tatum series for us to essentially see, like, what type of player is he going to be? This is, like, the beginning of building his legacy, I think. We've seen him in the Easter Conference Finals before. Obviously, when he was a young pup, what, a rookie, uh, thought he was trending downwards after he made that type of success, and then they're back. Like, as much as we counted Boston out this year throughout the season, they're going to have to break up the tandem of of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown because that tandem and surrounding cast is not going to equate into winning. And so I think this is Boston's time to tell everybody they're here, and they're arguably – they are arguably – the best team left in the NBA playoffs, period, point blank. Now, let's talk about the Miami side. So I'm going to give you the floor first. Miami's keys to victory, essentially, to get into the NBA finals. What is it that you're looking from for, from Miami to be like, Miami's going to be the team to go to the NBA finals, but here's the keys, one, two, three, four, five, whatever reasons that you have. One, Jimmy Butler's got to score like a superstar. Like, he doesn't necessarily have to do – I mean, you know what you're going to get defensively, but he has to offensively play like a superstar. And then second thing for me, and in the bench place already kind of mentioned, so that'll be like third. But Bam, Bam has to be unequivocally the best big man on the floor, and he's the most talented guy, but he has to be dominant. Like, they're going to need a second guy in the series because Tatum and Brown are going to kind of take turns running at Miami. And, like, Bam kind of needs to be that dude. And, like, Boston has quality big men, Grant's, fine you know Horford's fine um and Robert Williams has been really good defensively but like this feels like a big time for Bam in the playoffs like this is a you're going up against a team where you would pretty much everybody that watches basketball would say you have an advantage over all three of these guys and so he has to step up and be clearly one of the top three players in the series if they're going to win and unequivocally the best big man on either team so like he's a guy I'm going to watch with a lot of interest in the series because I think that he matches up pretty well. He can stretch the floor a little bit for sure into the mid range and, uh, and defensively he can handle all those guys. 
So like, I think that this is a Bam out of Io series if there ever was, if there ever was one. Uh, I think it works out better than him having to fiddle around like trying to guard Giannis and stuff like that, or like chase Brook Lopez around on the three point line. Um, but I think he has to be dominant, and it doesn't necessarily have to come scoring. Uh, but he has to be dominant on the glass. He has to be dominant defensively. He can't allow Grant Williams to score 27 with seven threes. And he can't – I mean, and the guys like Horford, when he's matched up with them, they can't light it up from three. That's what got Boston through this series was their role players being able to hit timely shots. And then in game six and seven, when you need your superstars, Jason Tatum showed up. So, I mean, like I think for Miami, that's the biggest thing is I think Bam's going to hold a lot of the answers to solving some of those role guys, some of those kind of tweener big men like – Horford and Grant Williams, and I think that uh, I think he has to be dominant in the series. Yeah, one hundred percent. Once again, we have Walker Bailey here on Up in Flames on Nothing But Net channel, but for Dash Radio. Uh, when I'm looking at the Miami Heat, obviously I'm a Miami Heat fan, right? So I, I, I guess I'm gonna speak from a fan perspective as far as what I'm looking for and the keys to victory. And you said Bam Adebayo, and essentially he hasn't played great throughout these playoffs, right? Like, we haven't seen enough of those performances from Bam Adebayo to be like, he's solidified as the second best player on the Miami Heat. But we know he's part of the core. We have Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo, P.J. Tucker. I think he's part of the core, at least for this year. Um, as far as building forward, no. Obviously, he's 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 on the wrong side of 30. But I'm looking at Jimmy Butler to continue his elite play. Even in the losses in the Philadelphia series, he had 33 and he had 40. My biggest fear is that that's what we asked from Jimmy Butler essentially to make Miami that championship team that we expect him to be, that team who was the number one seed in the Easter Conference. But the when he scored 40 and when he scored 33, those resulted in losses. And so that's my biggest fear when I look at Miami is that if that's what we're asking for Jimmy Butler is essentially to be bubble Jimmy, that might not be the winning way because he played absolutely amazing, right? He did everything you asked for him from a, from a leadership perspective, from a defensive perspective, and even from a scoring perspective, but we didn't get enough from the rest of the team. And so I think the ask for Jimmy Butler is to play consistent on both sides of the floor and give us 25 to 27 points a game. I think he needs to average about 25 to 27 points a game in this series, and that will essentially put us in a position where I think we'll get a lot from Duncan Robinson, from Max Strews. You know, like you said, the depth goes on, and these are two of the deepest teams in the NBA, period, let alone two of the deepest teams left. When you talk about a guy that we wouldn't mention on your everyday who could step up. If we start predicting, well, who steps up in game one, we could mention Max Struess or Duncan Robinson, or this could be the Tyler Hero game, or we could go on the Boston side and be like, this is the Grant Williams game. This is the Robert Williams playing, uh, you know, uh, great defensively. Like, this was his game on the boards and on the blocks. So that's where I think it comes down to, I believe, everything that you said, but I think it's Jimmy Butler. And I think it's the consistent play of Jimmy Butler. Can we get something enough night in and night out on the offensive end, defensive end, and the leadership perspective that he essentially carries this team to go to the NBA Finals? And don't get me wrong. I, obviously, if you're here at this point left in the playoffs, you have a chance of winning a championship. But I truly believe that either of these teams that come out very well have a shot to essentially win the championship. Whether it's the Dallas Mavericks or the Phoenix Suns who win Game 7, which we're about to get into, playing against the Golden State Warriors, I think out of these five teams left in the playoffs at the time that we're speaking, outside of Dallas, I will put Dallas in last place out of the five teams. I think Miami or Boston could come out of this and essentially end up being your championship team because of how deep they are, how great of a team they are. And that goes to what you and me talked about on OTB and 365, which before we talk about Phoenix and uh, Dallas, we'll get into it real quick. With Boston and Miami, essentially drafting guys, building the right, essentially building the right way, not fully loading up on superstars, but getting the guy that you believe is your guy, whether it's through the draft or free agency and putting the right pieces around them. How much do you think the outcome of this matchup with Boston and Miami and whoever wins, let's hypothetically say the team that wins this series go on to win the championship. How much do you think this matchup and the way these teams are built 
kind of change how teams continue to build for the future of the NBA? I mean, I think it changes a lot. I mean, I think that you want, I mean, and I think too, it's not just one of these teams winning the series or winning the championship. I think it too, it's watching how teams with multiple superstars fared over the course of this season, as much as it is Boston or Miami winning a championship. Like I think watching Brooklyn flame out and I know Brooklyn had a lot of problems with Ben Simmons had needing surgery and Kyrie being part-time for a lot of this season. And there was just a whole lot of issues there. But, I mean, they were first-round exit. The Lakers missed the playoffs with Russ and LeBron and AD. And all of these teams with these multitudes of superstars are flaming out. And so I think when that's the case, and then you watch these teams who have built rosters, and even Golden State to an extent, because they're really back into that kind of like, okay, everybody on this team, we kind of either drafted or it's like cheap for agents. Like it's not, you know, there's not that that Kevin Durant factor anymore where you're like, okay, yeah, like – we, you know, we signed another superstar and created a super team, uh, you know, and even with Dallas, like it's, it's kind of a theme with all of these teams left. Um, and I think that I really, I'm really intrigued by the Eastern conference final series, much more so than I am by the Western conference finals, no matter what the matchup is. Uh, but I'll be locked into all however many games of the Eastern conference finals. DraftKings just opened up the line and the Celtics are minus 170 to win the series uh, over Miami. So I'll be locked in. I I won't make a pick or anything, but I, I just think that it's great for the NBA, these teams that have built through the draft. Uh, you know, they have signed expensive free agents. Like, that's a necessity. Like, don't get it twisted. You have to do that regardless. Yeah, you have to do that. But it's I, I think it's the fact that they've built – I think they've – it's like we talk about. I think Miami's got one top 20 player, but they've got five top 40 players. And right. I think it's – and, you know, and four of those five guys have been, you know, drafted by Miami's organization and developed by Miami's organization. And that's why – and then, you know, the whole heat culture thing. And that's why we see guys like that play so well. Uh, and, like, and even to an extent – and, like, I'm not trying to, like, roast on Derek White. But, like, I mean, you saw that kind of, like, he kind of got out of that Spurs system and got to Boston. And for a couple of weeks he was great. But now it's, like, he's a target in the playoffs. And so, like, it's, you know, these organizations, like – um, like Boston and Miami, and when they draft these guys and they get them in and they develop them their way, they don't do these big. They don't do a ton of these big trades. They, you know, they sign the free agents when they're available to them. But I mean, it's not just these three max contracts and a bunch of veteran minimum guys around them. Uh, you just see how successful they are over the long term. That's why Miami's been so competitive now for you know over. A, I mean, a, over a decade. Um, yeah. And I mean, Boston's been largely the same way. I mean, there's been blips there where they've been bad, and that's how they got Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. But I mean, here they are. I mean, it's still, they trust the process. Brad Stevens has done a great job in the front office. We don't talk enough about that. But, uh, and Ime Odoka did a great job as the head coach. And he's kind of exactly what Boston needed because, I mean, he was a lot of the, he was responsible for a ton of the player development when he was both in San Antonio and Brooklyn. And so they really went back to those developmental roots and focused on getting the most out of guys. And I think, I think that's the most, I think that's the best path to winning championships is you get the most out of your guys. You don't go out and trade and try to build this thing in one year. You get the most out of your guys, you stick with them uh, and you develop teams over the course of years. And that's why, like you see a lot of these guys on the Celtics, like they've been here forever. Like they've been, it's the same. It's a lot of the same. It's a lot of the same guys that lost to LeBron and, 2017 or whatever it was so i do think i mean i think that it's great for the league that it's kind of turning back this way and a lot of these super teams aren't winning like i think the lakers losing is good for the game right now like i think that franchise needs to be competitive but if it's not competitive the right way then it's not great for the league like no like i think lebron russ and ad i think them completely bottoming out is good for the league yeah 100 percent. so like I said, before we move on to kind of Dallas uh, Phoenix preview for game seven, since we are live pregame coaching in front office play like that has been a huge factor for both of these teams in Boston and Miami. We're talking about two of the top coaches in the league this year, Eric Spolstra and Ime Udoka. And we're talking about two of the top, like, you know, uh, executives, essentially, and Pat Riley and Brad Stevens, because we talk about, like, Brad Stevens hasn't gotten enough love. We give it all to Ime Udoka. How much is coaching going to weigh a factor in what you're paying attention to in this series? Because these are two evenly matched teams, right? So we're looking at adjustments. We're not looking at how you start right away in the first quarter, 
Boston could go up 15 to six. A timeout is called. But then once that timeout is called, you're looking at how Miami comes out of that timeout with adjustments or vice versa. Miami goes up 15 to six. Game one, first quarter. And, you know, Ime Udoka calls a timeout. And now you're looking at, like, how does Boston look out of that timeout? How does Boston look coming out of halftime? Or how does Miami look coming out of halftime down seven points? Looking like this is the other team's game to take. How much does coaching impact what you're looking at when you're watching this Eastern Conference Finals? So I think it impacts a ton on the road. I don't, and I think it, it it obviously plays an impact at home. But I think on the road is where it gets really important. And I'll kind of dip back into the Bucks Celtics series just kind of as an example. Like how many times did Milwaukee run at Boston where Ime Odoka called timeout? You know, it had gotten cut to six. It had gotten cut to five. It had gotten cut to seven. Whatever else. And you know, Ime Odoka, you know, with conviction and with confidence, draws, you know, draws up a set, goes and gets Boston a key bucket. And they re-extend the lead quiet and quiet a crowd and maintain control of games. Uh, and I think Brad Stevens deserves a lot of credit, too, for understanding that this roster was built to win, but it just wasn't built for his voice. Like, his voice had kind of started to ring hollow, and it was time for him to move on and do something else. And so, you know, a guy like Ima Udoka comes in, and he's been one of the best out-of-timeout coaches all year. Uh, in terms of effectiveness and drawing up plays and sets. And so I think with stuff like that, it helps you on the road a lot because if you've got a team in a close game on the road and they kind of make a run at you and you call timeout, you know, be these two coaches being elite out of timeouts and being elite and being able to get their team a bucket when they need them is really good in terms of keeping their team in games and silencing crowds. Um, and that's why I think these two teams have performed well on the road this year. Uh, in term in the playoffs, like I mean, we saw how Boston played in Milwaukee. I think I'd, I'd have to go back and look. I think they won twice in Milwaukee. Yeah, um, yes, yeah, so they won twice in Milwaukee, and Miami won in Philly. Like I think that that has a lot to do with coaching, and because a lot of time you'll see these young teams and these teams with coaches who aren't considered amongst the elite, they'll give up one of those runs, and they may call timeout and draw something up, but there's no conviction, there's no confidence that it's going to work, and that they don't execute, and then all of a sudden, you know, you're down 12, the crowd's on their feet, and you're calling another timeout, and the game's kind of over. So I do think I do think that we want – that Spolstra and Ime both will help it, – it'll help both teams in that regard when they're playing in the other team's arenas. Yeah, 100%. Like – and I agree with you. Like, it, it – because we don't – always acknowledge how much the game how much coaching impacts the game right like we talk about the players got to play the coaches got to coach but we've seen like Eric Spolster kind of outcoached Doc Rivers in that Philly Miami series right like and it's one of those where it was to the point where a lot of people would call especially Philly fans we've seen it a lot on Twitter you know Philadelphia 76ers Twitter and we know those are some of the hardest fans on their sports team period and we're talking about the Flyers, the 76ers, the Eagles, uh, and, and you know, uh the Phillies were like they love their teams and they were calling essentially for for Doc Rivers' job. And you don't call for a coach's job unless you feel like coaching made an impact on winning or losing for your team. And so I think like Coach Spo ended up, you know, we were kind of questioning some of the calls that he had going in. They were up 2-0, everything was great, it was tied 2-2. And we're starting to look at Coach Spolster like, all right, what are you going to do to end up winning this series? Because now it's tied 2-2. Joel Embiid then came back. Like, you kind of gave Philly an opportunity. And then we see the greatness of, of Coach Spolster, who essentially was widely regarded as one of the top 15 coaches of all time. And, and when you're put in that perspective, like, that, that's an honor. You know, like, to be one of the top 15 coaches of all time by your peers and, and everybody else who puts a vote into that as of recent, that's one of those you win championships, you know how to win games, you know how to come through in the clutch. And I think Coach Spo is going to show that, you know, on display in this series. But Ime Yudoka is no thing to sneeze at when we talk about a first-year head coach, a guy who's gotten his team to the Eastern Conference Finals, a guy who looked like he's really gotten his team over the hump with a Boston team that we might have counted out. You know, a month before the playoffs started, we might have counted Boston out where they could be a first-round exit. And now they're sitting here. Both of these teams who we might not have seen Miami as a first-round exit because we knew they were going to play a play-in team, but we didn't necessarily look at them as like, oh, they'll make it past the second round. This is an Eastern Conference Finals team. Like, That's what I love about this matchup is that we're looking at two teams that we kind of counted out at some point based on their style of play uh, prior to the playoffs starting. 
They're playing each other to go to the NBA Finals to win an NBA championship. That's what you get in the NBA that you don't necessarily get anywhere else because it's not about who's better on one day. It's about who's better in a series. And essentially, you get to see that on display night in and night out, whether it's six-game series, five-game series, seven-game series. You really get to prove who's the better team, essentially, because we get the best of seven in this opportunity. And we got that from both teams uh, in the first two series. So now we're going to move on to a game seven preview. Uh, before we talk about the Western Conference as a whole, we got the game seven preview, Phoenix and Dallas. Just give me your thoughts. Going into this game seven, it's about to kick off. You know, we're recording this on Sunday, uh, April, I mean, May 15th. I'm sorry, I'm behind a whole month. Uh, Sunday, May 15th, we're recording this. What are you expecting in this game seven with Phoenix in Dallas? I mean, I expect Phoenix to win, and I, comfortably is is a strong word, but I kind of like the line six and a half. I think they'll win by 10. But so I, that's what I expect. But I think a lot of times what makes sense in these series it isn't necessarily what always happens. Phoenix is the better team and the more complete team. They've got more options. They've got more dudes. But when you have a guy like Luka Doncic on the other side, a guy who can single-handedly take over a game and win with one of these all-time, you know, high-level performances, I think that, I mean, it's, it's tough. And I think for Phoenix, like you're looking, we've talked about this a lot at the network over the last couple of days. Like when you're staring at the future of the franchise in the face and it all really comes down to one game, as far as right now, it comes down to one game. And I think when you look at something like that, it's just there's so much pressure on Phoenix, and Dallas has absolutely nothing to lose. They have nothing to lose. They're going in. They're playing with house money. And, like, so I kind of do have – I do have some concerns for Phoenix in that regard. Um, but, I, I mean, ultimately, I just think – I think they're too good. Um, I think that they'll probably get through this game. It'll be like a monkey off the bat. Chris Paul get a clean slate with the next series. You put the last one in the rear view. You move on. Uh, and then they'll get ready for Golden State. But I, I do think Phoenix – I think Phoenix probably makes a run at them in the third quarter. Uh, the crowd gets into it, and they probably take over and win. Yeah, and, like, looking into this Game 7, right, I've said, you know, essentially all day uh, today heading into these Game 7s, and this is where legacies are made. And I'm not saying that no legacy can be – touched after this game but i'm like this is around the time where we see the young guys start to let us know that we are witnessing legendary careers being born and so i'm gonna stick with that because i have a gut feeling that this is the luka Doncic game right and that's that is just my personal feeling i think dallas gets the w we saw milwaukee the former champion you know, get eliminated by Boston. It wasn't necessarily the Jason Tatum game that I thought it had the possibility to be, and so did you. But it's still, I think Luka has a possibility, like, if he plays absolutely amazing, right, has 40 points, you know, 10 or 12 rebounds, 7, 8 assists, and he gets the W, when we walk away from this game, we'll look 10 years from now and think about all the all-time great players whether it's the top five all-time, top 10 all-time, or just some of the guys within the top 75, this is around the age where we've seen a certain performance from certain players where we knew that's where we know we're watching legendary career be born. The best that I can relate to that is when Dwayne Wade did what he did and won the 06 you know, NBA championship. When he started going throughout the playoffs, and he made that stamp, and then in the championship, we're like, this is where we know we're watching a legendary career be born. LeBron James has done it. Kobe Bryant has had that moment. Tim Duncan has had that moment when he was young. We thought we almost thought we were seeing Jason Tatum do it his rookie year, where we're like, okay, we're about to watch a legendary career be born, but this is around that age, three to four to five years into the league. This is where guys put their stamp on they are not only maybe top five, the top seven best player, but these is this is what we're looking forward to is arguably the best player in the league for the next 10 years. And I think that's what we get from Luka. On the reverse side, another guy has the same opportunity to put the same stamp on the game when I'm looking at Devin Booker. And so that's why I'm being careful 
with who I think is going to win this game as opposed to who I want to win this game because I want Dallas to beat Phoenix. I think I've grown tired of how much love Phoenix has got. First off, I got to give flowers. Monty Williams has been an amazing coach. Like, how can you not like that guy? How can you not root for that guy? Like, everything he's done since he's been the head coach of the Phoenix Suns has been like, you almost will shed a tear as far as falling in love with. And so when I look at Dallas, it's like Jason Kidd has gone through, you know, essentially had to overcome triumph, essentially has had to do whatever he's had to do to, to, to get where he's at in a game seven in the second round. And I think this is the Luka Doncic game. Do you agree with me? And I, I know you will say like, yeah, you agree with me with the perspective I'm coming from. But would you jump out on the limb and say this is the Luka Doncic game where this is what puts his stamp on, okay, we're witnessing a legendary career and they end up getting the W? I mean, no, because I don't think you can go there. I don't think you can go there without them winning the game, and I don't think they're going to win the game. Um, so I can't, I can't go that far. I mean, I think he's going to play really well, and I think if Dallas wins, that's the most likely path. Uh, I do think there's a little bit of that having to prove himself for Jason Kidd, though, too. Because like, we had, and I've talked about it a little bit over the last couple of weeks, we haven't given him nearly enough credit for how Dallas has played throughout the year. I mean, he's taken a team of Luca and everyone else, and we give Luca all the credit for elevating those around him, and he definitely deserves a lot of that. But they were an elite defense all season long, and they don't have elite defenders. Like, they play elite team defense, and a lot of that credit go, should go to Jason Kidd. Uh, he's gotten this team playing together. Like, they play really well together as a unit, and they've really only got one just really good basketball player. Like, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie's not been like Spencer Dinwiddie that we've seen in the past. Jalen Brunson's taken a step, but also it's a contract here. Like, I mean, outs I mean, you know, you have they have guards, and outside of that, like, I mean, you're talking about guys like Reggie Bullock, who played for the New York Knicks last year and had trouble getting on the floor in the playoffs. And that dude's, like, been the playoff sniper, like, clinching games with game-winning threes. And, you know, Dorian Finney-Smith is, is scoring 20-plus in playoff games. And I think Luka deserves a lot of credit for that because he's the one handling the ball and creating those looks. But I also think that Jason Kidd deserves a lot of credit for that because he's in that room, inspired confidence. He's got them playing together. He has them believing and then I think also he deserves a lot of credit from learning from him, like learning from his mistakes in Milwaukee. Like we've been through, like there's been documented stories about what went wrong in Milwaukee, how he lost the room and all this sorts of different stuff. And I think going to LA and being an assistant again and seeing how, you know, a championship team is supposed to operate that did a lot for him. And I think he's adjusted and he's grown. And I don't think we give him enough credit for that. You know, we didn't talk about him at all in terms of coach of the year or anything like that. And and he shouldn't have won it, but we didn't even like sniff at it. And I mean, here we are and Dallas is in the second round with a chance to go to the Western Conference Finals. And I don't think anybody would argue with you if they uh, if you picked him to win the game and even picked him to win the next series. Um, like, I mean, I don't think anybody would tell you you're just like outlandishly stupid for thinking that. Um so I mean I think he deserves a lot of credit. I think we give Luca all the I think we give Luca all the credit, and while he deserves a ton of credit, I don't think Jason Kidd gets the shine and the credit that he deserves for the job he's done in Dallas this year. Yeah, and it's one of those I've become like such a big Luca fan. Like I just love watching Luca Doncic play basketball. Like he's he's that exciting guy. And when we look at what's left in the rest of the series. It's not necessarily a lot of exciting teams, right? Like, or a lot of exciting players. Like, we like watching Jason Tatum. We look at the Miami Heat and we're like, we like watching them as a team collectively. But like, when Jimmy Butler drops 40, it may not be the most exciting 40 that you've ever seen in a playoff scenario. Where I think, like, what's left out of the five teams because we're heading into this game seven, Luca, Steph Curry, and Jason Tatum are probably the three most exciting players left uh, in the playoff series now that Giannis Antetokounmpo was, is eliminated. And I think that's part of my bias because I love the Miami Heat, right? Like, that is my team. But I've come to the grips where, like, I've seen so many championships. I've seen three. You know what I'm saying? I've seen multiple finals appearances. But I look at it where, like, 
I just want to see the best product of basketball that I can see in the conference finals on the West and East and in the NBA finals. So I'm going to ask you for the NBA finals based on product, based on productivity and what we want to see, which matchup based on the teams left gives you because your team's not in it no more. What gives you the best? Like I am dying to see this. For 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 a seven game series, like this is the matchup I want to see. That could be a seven game series and make me glued to my TV for the whole entire NBA Finals. Uh, Boston Phoenix. Yeah. Why? Why? Well, I mean, one because if we can't achieve Jason Tatum superstardom if we don't win a ring, so we got to get there. <laughs> and so that's that's part one. And then I just think like I just think the the dynamics and the narratives would be so interesting and like. Uh, you know, you have the Celtics who have been trying to get to that point, to get to that series for so long. And you've got Chris Paul who's been trying to finally win one, and he got there last year. Uh, and Phoenix hasn't won anything in a really long time. You have two teams just absolutely desperate to win that haven't won. Like Miami, like Miami's won. It's been a while, but they've won. And like some of these guys, like even the coaches and stuff, have tasted what championships feel like and taste like. They Same thing with the Golden State. Uh, Dallas, not so much, but I don't think they're winning tonight. So, um, I, uh, so like for me, like two teams that just are absolutely desperate to win a championship makes for an incredible series. And then two teams that have superstars that are two teams that have young stars that are trying to take that step and become a superstar. Cause like we talked about Luca trying to take that step. Like Devin Booker still has to kind of take that step. Like he had a great playoffs last year, but they didn't win a ring. Like, I mean, they, he did it all in a losing effort. And I understand that they lost to a better team. But, like, in order to get to that status, in order to become that superstar that everybody wants you to become, you have to you have to put a ring on your finger. And so I think that you have two young stars trying to take that step. You have – in Phoenix, you have a veteran point guard who is trying to get to that place that he has never been able to go. And I just think the desperation on both sides would make for such an interesting and compelling NBA Finals versus, like, you know, versus two teams potentially or one one to two teams who have already been there, already done that. We've already seen them win. I just think I think the desperation and the thought that this may be my last shot, especially on the Phoenix side, makes for a really compelling series. Yeah. So to answer my guy, my brother, a guy I've been down for for life. I appreciate you for tuning in. My guy, Zach, are you worried for your heat? One hundred percent. Like, as you get into this place where you're playing for the Easter Conference Finals, like, how could you not be worried for your team, whether you're the favorite or not? Like, you're essentially worried whether your team can win this series or not. And, you know, like you said, uh, Walker, the Celtics are minus 170 opening up early as far as the favorite. So I'm rooting. My team is the underdog in this series. 100% I'm worried for the Heat. But to answer the question that I asked you, Walker, I want to see Phoenix and I want to see Miami. I, I want to see the Phoenix Suns versus the Miami Heat. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, that is not the sexiest matchup that you could get for the NBA Finals. But think about it. Phoenix versus Milwaukee last year. Everybody kind of feared that matchup because that's not what the rest of the world, that's not what the casual eye wanted to see. But it but it happened, and it was a great NBA Finals matchup, and Milwaukee ended up winning the championship. I'm not saying that happens and Miami ends up winning the championship, but it takes it back to the point where we talked about earlier in the show, maybe as much as we talk about the superstars and the more superstars you put together, the more borderline all-stars you put together on one team, that's what everybody wants to see because your casual fan wants to see every name that they know. Whether they know seven names, ten names, ten and a half names, that's where they come from, right? And you look at it and you're like, maybe that's not the best product of basketball. And I think when I look at Phoenix and I look at Miami, I think if Miami could get past Boston, I think it's essentially the same type of conversation when my if Miami beats Boston, I think that finals matchup is the same conversation that we have with Boston and Miami. I think it's that same type of series where it's great 
basketball. If you know what great basketball looks like, then you would essentially appreciate what that Phoenix and Miami projection-wise, what that series could look like. And I think that could be a six, a seven-game series of just great basketball. But those two teams, the way they play, it goes against modern era. There is no Steph in that series. There is no LeBron James in that series. There is no high-level superstar that goes against the odds and is able to essentially pull out a championship with the way of basketball that we're used to, but I think it gives you that good late 90s, early 2000s feel where there's defense, there's out coaching plays a factor. It, ain't, it doesn't come down to a star. It doesn't come down to a superstar. It comes down to coaching, and it comes down to great play and, and a coach putting those role players in the right position to make an elite play or two down the line when you need it. And so I think Phoenix and Miami, but Boston can give you, I agree with you with Phoenix and Boston because it can give you literally that same type of matchup, but a, probably a little more exciting because there's probably more Jason Tatum fans out there than there are Jimmy Butler fans. So I'm not mad at you for saying that Phoenix and Boston is the matchup that you would love to see because essentially people, there's probably more Devin Booker fans and more Jason Tatum fans than there are Jimmy Butler, Kyle Lowry, and Bam Adebayo fans. So I feel like with the matchup that we would love to see or, or think that is possible, I think it comes from the same place, but it's just a little bit different as far as the product that we would see because there's, there's just more Jason Tatum fans than Jimmy Butler fans. Let's just be honest. Like, there's just more kids and more younger adults, even more ki more guys my age, more adults my age that would rather watch Jason Tatum play than Jimmy Butler because if you don't get the best version of Jimmy Butler, if you get the best version of Jimmy Butler and you get the best version of Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum scoring 40 is still a more exciting 40 uh, than Jimmy Butler. Let's just be honest. So I think our pre not predictions of what we're going to see, but our predictions of what we like to see come from the same place. But I think my bias kicks in by saying I would love to see Miami because I would love to see my team compete for a championship. So before we close out, Walker, overall thoughts on the playoffs. Just, you know, whatever runs through your mind for the next two to three minutes, you know, what would have just been your overall thoughts on the playoffs this year? Because I'll tell you why I'm asking you that. There's been no LeBron James. There's been no Anthony Davis. There's been no Russell Westbrook. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving got eliminated quick, fast, and in a hurry in the first round. Uh, James Harden is no longer in the playoffs as, as opposed to not playing to an elite James Harden level, let alone getting knocked out in the second round while not playing elite. We could go down the list of names that haven't appeared in the playoffs that you would expect if I told you prior to the season starting at this point, None of these names would be in the playoffs, and you'd be like, I don't even know if it would be interesting. And I think so far, the playoffs have been everything we asked for. So just at this point, heading into a Game 7 for Phoenix and Dallas and heading into the conference finals and getting ready to gear up for who's going to win the championship, what are your overall thoughts on the playoffs? I mean, I'm right there with you. I think. I mean, I think the playoffs have been great. Like, I've enjoyed every moment of them. Uh, I think it's been not you always want your stars in, but I think that for the future of the league, I think it's been great that some of those guys have missed it or missed the playoffs. I mean, you've had guys like Ja, you've had guys even like Jokic, even though they got beaten five, he was so fantastic in the first round on such a shorthanded roster that uh, you appreciated him that much more. And then guys like Jason Tatum, and then I think we talked about it earlier from a team building perspective, I think these complete units that have been built up. Uh, are starting to win as opposed to these super teams that have been built with three max players and uh, a bunch of cheap guys. So, I mean, I just think from an overall perspective, you've gotten everything that you could really ask for. Uh, and you've seen the future stars. I mean, you've got Devin Booker against Luka tonight. You've got Jason Tatum. Uh, and then you've got guys like Hero and Bam down in Miami. Like, I mean, and not as much from a Golden State perspective. You have a lot of the same dudes. Uh, there's no youth on that roster, uh, at least not impactful youth. Or I mean, really, Jordan, I guess Jordan Poole. Poole. Yeah, I was about to say Jordan Poole, even I'll there. Say Jordan Poole, don't count out Jordan Poole yeah, now. I was going to say, yeah. I, I'm, but, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's been great for the future of the league in terms of seeing future stars as opposed to seeing guys that we've seen for the last, like, you know, 10 to 15 years looking at you, LeBron. Um, and then, you know, even guys we've seen for the past five, like Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid and, 
James Harden and all those types of guys. And while we do still have some of those guys left, uh, I think the focus is primarily on the young stars. I mean, we spent most of the night talking about Jason Tatum, you know, Miami's collective group and, you know, and Luka Doncic. And like, I think that's good for the league. Yeah, 100%. And so, you know, going on to looking at, you know, the five teams left because we're heading into the game seven, but I just think this has been a great product. I think this is, Essentially, the the what we're looking at for the future of the league. I know Chris Paul is kind of the leader of the Phoenix Suns, but we have Devin Booker. We hope that, you know, I guess, depending on what team you are, you hope that DeAndre Ayton remains with the Phoenix Suns. We'll figure that out in the offseason. But like you said, when you're looking at the young guys moving forward, you got Tyler Hero, Bam Adebayo, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Luka Doncic. Jalen Brunson, whether he remains a Maverick or not after this season, we'll figure it out because I'm sure a lot of teams are going to throw the bag, probably the unnecessary bag at him just for the simple fact that the couple games that he played amazingly without Luka Doncic, you know, uh, in the first round is probably why he's going to get that big bag from some of the team that's missing a point guard, the New York Knicks. Um, So I think, you know, with watching some of these young guys and being able to put Take LeBron out. Take Kevin Durant out in the first round. Uh, take Kyrie Irving out in the first round. Take James Harden out now that we're on. Take even a guy like Joel Embiid out. Take Nikola Jokic. Some of the guys that we love talking about year in and year out, the guys who were put on our conversation all year long on, on Dash Radio, on the Manette channel, and just week in and week out, we're talking about these guys, and none of them are left in the playoffs. Now we're... You're forcing our hand to talk about Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry and Bam Adebayo and Tyler Hero and Devin Booker and Chris Paul and Aiton and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Luka Doncic and Jalen Brunson and freaking Max Kleber. Like, we're talking about a guy who who might, he, he might fuck around and get hot from the three-point line and Max Kleber and end up winning a game seven because of how he catches fire from the three-point line. But, like, I love that the NBA is making us bring light to these guys that don't necessarily get the love day in and day out when we cover the NBA throughout the season because during the regular season, the superstars are the superstars, and then in the playoffs, as stars and superstars get eliminated, we're thirsting over who is the next guy, who is the next group of guys that's going to come up to get us excited for the next 10 years. And I think the NBA has panned out to the point where it's blessed us with being able to see the young talent uh, night in and night out for the next couple weeks here in the conference finals and, you know, soon to be the NBA finals. So before we close out, Walker, give everybody where they can follow you, listen to any of your work. And, you know, like I said, we talked about this on OTBN 365. We just talked recently, but, you know, even your new uh, writing articles. Yeah, so I started writing. Uh, it's on Substack. It's on Twitter. It's Rangers and other things, just primarily focusing on the on the Texas Rangers and stuff like that. And then follow everybody at off the ball network. I think it's off the ball network.wixstacks.com now or wixsticks.com. So you can check out everything there, all your favorite shows of the network. Um, It's all available there. So just check all that stuff out. Follow me on Twitter at Walker Bailey eight. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. 100%. And as always, for those of y'all tuning in, listening, I appreciate y'all. Follow me at mo underscore cheese 15 on Twitter at Up in Flames Pod on Instagram. Uh, be sure to subscribe if you're a new listener here or on my YouTube, Up in Flames Pod. I appreciate everybody for tuning in. Listen, I appreciate everybody for checking out us on here on Dash Radio on the Nothing But Net channel. And on that note, Up in Flames is out.